It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast, the podcast that, if you missed it, is on 17 college football podcast watch lists as of this week, <laughs> um, along with really every other player who plays any position in college football. Um I have made this watch list up, so uh, no other podcasts are on it, but hopefully you will listen to this one. Mitchell Forty, Gabe DeArmond here, and we are going to continue. We're going to start by continuing our Missouri 2018 opponent previews. We've made it through half the schedule. The second half of the schedule starts with a home game against the Memphis Tigers, and we're going to talk to Brian Moss, who covers the Tigers for TigersportsReport.com, the Memphis site on the Rivals Network. Brian, how you doing, man? Doing pretty good. How you guys doing? Not good. too bad. Uh, appreciate you joining us. So we were just talking um, before you came on, and when Mitchell and I were looking at the schedule, we said we wish these two teams would have played last year because the final would have been like 102 to 99. Oh, it would have been uh, outrageous. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I would have really loved to see that matchup, uh, only because you know Anthony Min- uh, Miller, Riley Ferguson, some of the guys that are no longer at Memphis, that would have been a great matchup. You mentioned Riley Ferguson, and most people saw him light it up. Uh, he was great in the UCLA game. Obviously, they put a 55 on UCF. So where's kind of the battle to replace him? Is that the most pressing question Memphis had this offseason? No, yeah, I believe so. Because, um, I mean, when you take a look at every other position, I mean, four of the five uh, offensive uh, linemen, starters come back. I mean, you have all your running backs uh, that uh, were productive that, you know, coming back. But everything falls on that quarterback battle between, uh, you know, Brady White, who was the transfer from uh, Arizona State, former four-star. He was recruited by Mike Norvell when Norvell was an assistant at Arizona State. And uh, David Moore, uh, both of them are, are similar. David Moore is more uh, athletic. He's more mobile, has the stronger arm. But Brady White is more accurate. Um, so it's really going to be, you know, just a, a true battle. You know, when we talk to – Coach Novell at the uh, American Conference Media Day, he said it's nowhere near, you know, complete as far as the uh, position battle goes. It, it's going to go into the fall, and it may go into the first game to see who really wins out. Brian Mitchell Forty here. Uh, obviously, we just touched on the quarterback. The other big loss for Memphis was Anthony Miller, their wide receiver, who put up uh, huge numbers last year. You know, with, with the, the Memphis replacing quarterback and uh, having lost him, do you think this? offense is still or this team still kind of built to win with offense or are, are you expecting them to, to kind of still be a uh, high scoring explosive team or, or will that style change a little bit this season no they'll still have the same style uh, they'll still put up points um you know because anthony miller was such an outstanding talent the, the other guys around him didn't get the ball much because <laughs> miller was just that alpha male i mean he demanded the ball um so i mean you'll see uh this year you know demonte coxie uh, he'll definitely uh, get some touches. Tony Pollard, who is mainly, um, you know, special teams kick returner, you know, all world. He has, you know, I think he's one away from tying the record, two away from breaking it. And, you know, he's only – he was a sophomore last year, so he has two more years left. But he's going to move over, you know, into slot receiver. So, you know, he's shifty, get him the ball out in the open, and you just watch him go. So, I mean, they definitely have the playmakers. It's just because of Anthony Miller, you just didn't see him as much. Uh, you mentioned Tony Pollard, and I was going to ask about him. I mean, four kickoff returns for a touchdown last year, one short of the NCAA record entering his junior season, and 
probably even more impressive because we just don't see kickoffs returned all that much and, and may see them even less now this year. Yeah, I talked to him about that. You know, you know, what well, you know, I was like, give me your thoughts on, on the new rule. And he absolutely hated it. And he's like, you know, it's you know, he can see where um, you know, kickers will just try to uh, you know, kick it up high and trying to pin him down. But the way he views it, he's like, you know what, I'm gonna take this negative into a positive. It, it really, you know, ticked him off enough to where he's gonna take this as a challenge. Um so he's he's de- more determined now than ever to uh, you know, try to get that record. Uh Brian, we were uh, looking at Memphis's schedule just a, a second ago and, and saw that uh, they play uh, Central Florida again the week before they play Missouri. Um, you know, typically when you have a, a group of five team, you know, playing a, an SEC team or another Power Five team, they'll kind of treat that as a really big game, you know, kind of their Super Bowl, if you will. Um, but do you think the fact that, that Memphis plays uh, Central Florida and a rematch game from last year's conference championship the week before, you know, maybe actually kind of benefits Mizzou in some sense where they don't have necessarily uh, the Missouri game scheduled uh, right away on their schedule? I think, it, yeah, it definitely benefits uh, Missouri a lot. Uh, you know, because that UCF game, that's going to be, you know, it's, it's a tough game for Memphis, you know, mentally because, you know, Memphis has not beaten um, Central Florida since they were in, you know, Division One AA. So I mean, it's it's it was their first game against each other, you know, years ago. But you know, I think ten or eleven straight losses now. All right. So uh, whether it was mid Missouri weather or uh, cell coverage, we don't know. Uh, Brian got about halfway through explaining Memphis and UCF, which is in all effect a preview, probably of the American Conference uh, championship game, and then uh, it just disappeared. Um, kind of like the defense the last two time, the last time those two teams played. So, Brian, uh, I mean, go on. Obviously, that's the game that that both of those teams have scheduled. Because when you look at the rest of the schedule, frankly, there's not much there. No, exactly. Uh, I mean, Memphis's uh, first half of the schedule is is more difficult than the the last half. I mean, they got Navy the second game of the season at Navy, um, and they're they're always you know hard. But going back to you know the Central Florida game, you know, it's just going to be difficult for them. So they had, it definitely benefits uh, Missouri. They, you know, they can't look ahead. So they're going to be emotionally, physically drained after that game, and you know, come right around and face a very tough Missouri team. Be interesting to see if uh, Josh Heupel and Barry Odom have a good enough relationship to compare notes after that one. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's funny because what was it? Just three years ago, uh, me and Gabe just texting back and forth. You know the uh, uh, the coaching search watch. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, now now they play each other, so it's it's interesting to talk uh, to you other than coaching search. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of coaching searches, I know that, you know, Mike Norvell got a big uh, contract extension back in uh, after the season ended. Um, do, what Do you think that, that that's enough to, you know, keep him a- at Memphis for the foreseeable future? Or do you think, you know, obviously it partially depends on how the team performs, but do you think if they have another big year this year that that could not be enough that he might still uh, end up somewhere else? Well, ironically, I mean his uh, his buyout still is roughly the same. I think it's only like five hundred thousand for the buyout. It's wow. he kept mm. it very low. Okay, so he's keeping his options open. I mean, he he openly talks about how much he loves Memphis. You know, he, he'd like to be here, but yet he keeps his buyout low. So, you know, I think he's waiting for the the, the you know the right fit. Um, he always talks about you know fit and family. I mean, he preaches that. So, I mean, you know, for him to leave, I think it's going to have to be a special place. But, uh, you know, I don't think anybody in Memphis expects him to be here long term. 
I mean, it is what it is when you're part of the group of five. You're, you're, you know, you're going to be a stepping stone up to a, a better position. But, you know, I think he may – if he didn't leave last year, I think he may stay around for one to two more years. Uh, but, yeah, five years from now, I, I don't see him being at Memphis because I think he's that good of a coach that someone's going to snag him up. Talking with Brian Moss, Tiger Sports Report. So let's talk a little bit about that uh, American Athletic Conference. And I want to preface this by saying of everyone who covers the SEC, I might be like the least uh, cheerleader for the SEC. But obviously these two conferences have had a uh, had a long offseason debate. Um, what, what are just your thoughts on the whole, you know, UCF, whether they belonged in the playoff, whether they deserved a shot, and then I don't really even want to get into whether they actually are a national champion because I think that's kind of silly. Yeah, I think it's silly. I mean, it would be nice, um, you know, if they would have had, you know, a, a shot at it. But, I mean, let, let's be realistic. Would, would they have beaten Alabama? Probably not. But, you know, just I, I think if, if the American Conference can keep producing teams, uh, you know, like UCF, uh, Memphis that can uh, you know that can go up there and challenge. I think a few years from now you you know you'll see where the playoffs will will expand. You know, and that that was a huge topic for the uh, coaches roundtable at the American Athletic uh, Media Day. Um, they were talking about how they would like to see it expanded to you know eight teams. You know, have of course you know the American and their Power Six slogan, but they would like you know the the top six uh, conference winners and then two at large. Um, so, I mean, will that happen in a couple of years? Who knows? But, you know, it's always nice to talk about. Uh, but, I mean, for me, I think the American Conference needs to continue that consistency of, you know, producing before you can actually be, you know, considered one of the big boys. And, and here's what they've got to do to me. And this is not like an SEC thing because I said the same thing when Boise State beat Oklahoma. Like, it's one thing. Yeah, UCF beat Auburn. Uh, Auburn's motivation going into that game, I don't know. But whatever, UCF beat them. But the difference in beating Auburn on one day versus, okay, let's say you beat Auburn in week three of the season. Then the next week you play South Carolina. And the next week you play Texas A&M. I mean, we're looking at Memphis's schedule. You got Navy, but then you got Georgia State, South Alabama, Tulane, UConn. That's basically four gimmies before UCF and Missouri. The difference in that conference versus the quote-unquote Power Five is Memphis and UCF really have to get up two to three times a year. If you're in the SEC, you got to get up eight to ten times a year because every game is theoretically a game you can lose. Where in the AAC, that's just not true right now because it's not deep enough. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I mean, there's it's a different. It's just a different level. I mean, anyone who says otherwise is, is really just kidding themselves or being a conference homer. Right. Uh, I mean, because from top to bottom, I mean, if you take UCF or Memphis and put them in the Southeastern Conference. I, they'll get some wins, but they're not going to be the, the upper echelon. I, I, mean, I'd I say, mean, that's just that's just the facts. I think last year's UCF team could have been maybe a nine and three team in the SEC, and that's really good. That's better than a lot of SEC teams. It's just not twelve and zero and in the playoff. That's correct, Brian. Uh, you know, just with with Memphis, kind of you know, in in a, the group of five. Uh, what what kind of is you know the the fan support kind of around that that football program like? Is it you know, they obviously have had a lot of success over the last uh, several years under Justin Fuente, and now, um, now with uh, Mike Norville, what, what, how, you know, passion is is that fan base? What is their appetite like for football? It's it's getting up there. Um, you know, I mean, they've had so many years where they were just 
you know, the laughing stock, uh, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had a silent majority. I mean, they had a small base that was, I mean, that's very vocal. And, and when you, when they finally had, you know, one of their own um, and Larry Porter and, and that disaster, they, I mean, they stood up. They're like, listen, we're, we're tired of this. You know, that, you know, you could foresee the uh, landscape of college football changing and they wanted to be a part of that. They didn't want to get left behind. So yeah, the, the, the fans, a uh, couple of boosters, Said, hey, this is this is enough. They went out and and got a head coach in Justin Fuente that uh, really turned things around. And now Mike Norvell, you know, obviously uh, continued to take it to an, uh, another level with the way he recruits. But the fan base is continuing to continuing to grow. Now, when you take a look at the attendance, the attendance has slipped over the past couple of years. But when you take a look at the home schedule, it was really the the weather. Like you know, there's two games last year, which is basically a monsoon. <laughs> that uh, really hurt the uh, in the attendance. But overall, the excitement, I mean, it's never been higher at Memphis. So speaking of excitement never having been higher and hiring one of their own, we would be derelict in our duty if we let you off this without asking <laughs> about Penny Hardaway. I am fascinated. This is either going to be incredible or awful, and I'm not sure there's an in-between. I mean, what are your thoughts on on Penny, basically, who I know he's been involved with AAU ball and stuff, but he's not just getting his first head coaching job. He's getting his first coaching job of really any major impact at a major college program. Yeah, it's it's interesting, um, you know, because I, I was one of the few that was like, you know what, you know, give Tubby one more chance, you know, just – I, I'm not a fan of, of giving a coach one or two years and just like, you know, take a hike. But, you know, th- this is where the, the fan base was like, listen, you know, we don't, we don't like what's going on. You know, Tubby does it the right way. You know, he wants his, <laughs> we don't like that. That's not, <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not Memphis. Memphis wants <laughs> Memphis kids. They want high profile. And, and now with uh, Penny Hardaway, I mean, that's what they got. I mean, they got the swag back. Uh, Penny is going after it. I mean, <laughs> Penny, Penny, what was it? Like he was less than a month into the job and got. I'd have to look at the rankings again, yeah. but a top twenty-five uh, recruiting class in his first recruiting class. I mean, he wasn't even on the job a month and he got a top twenty-five class. And so that's what Memphis fans want. They were like, "All right, you know, we're back." And like, you haven't even played a game yet. <laughs> but they they feel they feel like they're back because they got Penny Hardaway and they got the recruits that they want. Now, can they put it together? on the basketball court. And that's what we'll find out. I think he'll do okay. Um, it may, I, I'm not sure they'll contend for the conference title this year. A lot of people think they might. We'll see. Um, because the AAC, you know, it's a little down year for them, but you know, they have a chance. It's just a matter of, can they put it all together? But the, definitely the excitement's back. I, you know, no time in history that I can think of where basketball and football had this much excitement at Memphis. Well, and, and Tubby, you can go back and forth. I, I think it's pretty pretty obvious to say he probably didn't get treated fairly, but I remember when he made that move and I just, they, you know, that you always talk about fit and nobody who understands anything about college basketball thought Tubby Smith fit at Memphis. Yeah, no, exactly. Even when he got hired, there was a lot of us that was like, okay, <laughs> why? You know, it was just, it was just a head scratcher, but you know, it is what it is. And it's, you know, it's in the past now, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see We'll see what happens, but there's definitely excitement back. Uh, I mean, there's so many, there's so many things about Penny Hardaway that that's interesting. He's the first, uh, I what, uh, signature athlete that's uh, is now a head coach. People are wondering, is little Penny going to come back for the, you know, Memphis Madness? Make oh, that'd be parents? amazing. Uh, 
You know, I mean, there's rumors of that. You know, I mean, you hear no one will say anything, you know, definitely. But yet you hear the rumors around, you know, around campus. Hey, you know, Chris Rock may, you know, bring a little penny either in person or on the Jumbotron or something like that. But, yeah, there's, there's so much excitement around both programs. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to cover. Well, if that happens, I'm covering Memphis Madness because that'll be amazing. Uh, uh, Brian, we look forward to uh, to talking to you when this game gets a little closer. If you make the trip to cover the game in Columbia, let us know because we will welcome you to a state that has good barbecue and take you a place to get it. Definitely. Will do. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, man. Have Thanks, a good Brian. one. Brian Moss, TigerSportsReport.com. Uh, he, he didn't take the bait there. I, <laughs> I, I'm not a huge Memphis bar- barbecue fan, but that's just me. Uh that game is so interesting, and we're going to talk about this. We're going to have Howard Richards on here in a few minutes, and and we'll get a little more into this. But I, I was thinking about earlier today. So that's game seven for Missouri. Mm-hmm. They could be anywhere between two and four and five and one. And I don't think – I mean, five and one would surprise people, but it wouldn't be like a knock you out, out of your chair shock if mm-hmm. they beat Georgia at home, won it at South Carolina. Um, but – by the time that game happens, we're going to know, first of all, we're going to know if Missouri has any chance at the SEC title game. Right. Like, we're going to know that after week five. Georgia and South Carolina, it's going to be decided. But also, what we're really going to know, I was thinking about, and we've talked about that Purdue game so much, if Missouri's 2-0, which they better be going into that one, like, if they lose that one, this fan base is going to go, right. eh, all right, well, yeah. maybe we'll win seven again, whatever. Nobody's going to care. Unless you do come back. I mean, I think you've got to be three and two minimum going to Bama, which means out of Purdue, South Carolina, Georgia, you've won at least one. If they're two and four when Memphis comes here, it is going to be ugly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, interestingly, Brian mentioned the uh, the attendance uh, thing, issues at yeah. Memphis. Uh, you know, kind of happening everywhere in the country. But you know, you've seen a few uh, home games, especially against you know non SEC teams, non uh, Power Five teams that past few years here that haven't uh exactly haven't inspired huge turnouts so yeah. um so, you know if if mizzou is two and five and, and playing memphis it, it's not i mean that's just not enough i i guess it is i think it is the homecoming game is still i don't think that's enough to get you know your fans that that live two to four or whatever hours away to uh to get in the, their cars and drive so but yeah that will kind of be a, a bellwether to, to show what the uh what the confidence level is in the coaching staff at that point point. and that game to me it, it's similar to Wyoming, but I think Memphis is better than Wyoming. Oh, definitely, yeah. In that, would it be a complete shock on paper if Memphis or Wyoming came in here and won? No, not really. No. But if you're going to be, in year three, anywhere near as good as anybody over there wants to be, like, those games are not, they're not negotiable. Those are wins. Yeah. If you lose either of those games, I'm just going to say, like, it's not a good year. Purdue, everybody's saying if you lose Purdue, you're not going to have a game. No, you can lose Purdue. Yeah. But if you lose Memphis or Wyoming, you're not getting to eight. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like you, know, like you said, it's, not, it's certainly not, you know, impossible for, for Memphis or Wyoming to get on and come in here and, you know, have a, have a great game and win. But you, you can't tell me, that, you know, the same team that, that's listened to one of those teams is, you know, beating, is beating uh, Georgia at home, beating South Carolina on the road and, you know, I mean, it's, it's winning like Purdue, SEC games. It's so. like Purdue yeah. last year or yeah. like Mem- or, uh, Middle Tennessee two years ago. Yeah. yeah, they could come in here and win. And if they do, your season's falling short of what you think it's going to. Right, right. Yeah. By the way, as as we you touched on in the beginning there, we uh, we did miss out last year with not getting a chance to uh, to to see that game because I I think uh, I truly think we might have seen like a team score hundred points. It oh, would have been sweet, dude! It, it would have been. I mean, it would have been like 
the Delaware State game, but on both sides. Right. <laughs> you know, it would have just been constantly in like 9,000 yards passing. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we talk to Howard Richards, we do want to touch on a night at the zoo Saturday night. I'm interested to see. We, we've gotten a few names here and there that we know are going to be there. We're hoping to get quite a few more over the next 48 hours and kind of confirm like this is uh this needs to not necessarily be a big night like we don't need five kids on Sunday morning to say hey I committed to Missouri necessarily but it needs to lead to a big couple of weeks for Missouri right yeah I mean you know you you've said all along it's too early to panic and and recruiting changes so quickly but I mean it it is you know you can't argue with the fact that Missouri is lagging behind most yeah programs as far as uh as far as number of commits uh you know some and, something like 70th or 80th or something like and that and i think so. there's a good chance though two podcasts from now mm-hmm. that like and, and this is the beauty of people who closely follow recruiting i often say like i can't imagine living on the emotional roller right, right, coaster right. they do because every commit everything's great and mm-hmm. every kid that goes somewhere else it's awful but on monday martez manuel is making a decision he's from rockbridge we Think he's going to pick Missouri, but we'll see. Um, Maurice Massey visited here Wednesday. He's visiting Illinois Friday. He's visiting Missouri again on Saturday. Said he wants to decide before his senior season. Something could happen there. Missouri's in his top two. Marcus Washington is deciding uh, in 12 days on August 7th. We believe Missouri is is the favorite to land him. So we could, in two weeks, all of a sudden be having a much different discussion. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of my point. Is, you know, like, like you said, Recruiting could change quickly in Missouri. Obviously, they they need they need a few of those things to go their way just because of kind of the you know the the lack of commits so far. But I mean, yeah, that could change the momentum really quickly. And uh, you know, like you said, probably when we when we're talking here in a couple of weeks, everyone will think that you know Barry Odom's here for the the next ten years and he's the yeah. greatest recruiter ever. And, <laughs> and in reality, recruiting is nothing but that. It's right. PR. Yeah. Like again, I've said a number of times. Recruiting rankings matter on a large scale. Mm-hmm. If your team is ranked 45th every year, you're not winning the SEC. It, mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. But on an individual scale, it's just not worth getting so high or so low because in the perfect timing, you wrote the tight ends preview today. Yeah, yeah. And, and somebody commented, I remember all the recruiting battles. These kids are great. I mean, nobody was excited when Missouri got Albert O. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody was all that excited when they got Logan Christofferson. Mm-hmm. Messiah Swenson a little bit. But I think only just be- because he's 6'7". <laughs> well, and also because he was like, it came at the time in the process where it was really late. Yeah. So yeah. those last two or three kids, people really focus on and they mm-hmm. become a bigger deal. But the biggest excitement for Missouri in recruiting tight ends was Brendan Scales, mm-hmm. who probably we think is probably yeah. number five on this depth chart come yeah. the season. So on an individual basis, it's simply, I, I mean, I'm not telling you not to care because that's stupid business. I'm just saying, like, as high and as low as people get, and I know it's never going to change, but it's just, it's nuts. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right, right. You know, one, especially, you know, on a football team where you start 22 kids, one team is not going to win any one a championship. I, I have in, I've now been doing this 16 years. I have covered two kids. I can, maybe three, I considered must-gets for Missouri. Blaine Gabbert, because of how highly he was ranked, how good people thought he could be and kind of where the quarterback position was at mm-hmm. that time. And Sheldon Richardson, and I think that was proven correctly. And maybe I'd put DGB in that category more for the PR of it mm-hmm. than whether or not he was going to actually live up to that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, I, you know, when the the overall class numbers matter. They show you, you know, kind of the the, the depth and, and breadth of talent on your roster. But, you know, getting getting Marcus Washington, while it may make people really happy, it wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, don't don't start booking tickets to Atlanta or wherever and, the and SEC title game is in 2020. And losing him does not mean Barry Odom should be fired. Right, right. right. Like, you know, I, I mean, it, it's okay. If he goes to Ohio State, hey, things happen, and, and the world is is not going to end for Missouri football. Now happy to welcome into the podcast Missouri Radio Network color commentator Howard Richards. And in addition to the radio stuff, Howard, we had you on the podcast probably about a year ago. Uh, shortly after you had, had reached this agreement with Mizzou, doing a lot of outreach in, in the St. Louis area and, and other parts of the state. So before we get into football, just kind of let everybody know, uh, first of all, if they missed it, exactly what you're doing and, and how that part of uh, your your duties are going. Hey, Gabe, thanks a lot for having me on. Uh, I'm, I'm a little disappointed you don't have me on more often, but you know we'll discuss that. <laughs> all also. right, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to work something out. I mean, I know the pay is great, so I, I'm sure you want to do it regularly. Uh, exactly, exactly. Um, so my title is Assistant Athletic Director for Community Relations. I work almost exclusively in the St. Louis area. And just to sort of summarize, uh, one of the projects that I'm responsible with is is outreach into the St. Louis community, um, trying to a promote uh, both university and Missouri athletics. Um, and the project that we launched last year called the Mizzou Youth Experience uh, was really designed especially to um, attract uh, the youth from underserved, underrepresented communities. Give them so back-to-back interviews. The uh, phone line has has not cooperated with us, but Howard Richards uh, immediately called back before we could even call him back because uh, was so excited to fill you in on the rest of that answer. So Howard, go ahead. So so the rest of it is, um, and I'll try to pick up where I was before. Um, essentially, the the Mizzou Youth Experience designed to uh, attract. Uh, the underserved youth um, from this year the, will be the, the communities of, of Kansas City, St. Louis, and Columbia. Last year, the inaugural effort uh, was targeted uh, in St. Louis only because that was uh, where we just launched. We had to start someplace, and uh, because that was in St. Louis, that's where we started it. Um, but the idea ultimately is to grow this to uh, make it available to you know, youth statewide up to the age of, uh, of eighth grade. And essentially, uh, it, it, there are a number of, there are a number of um, youth in the area that don't really understand uh, the idea of, of, of college, you know, what it takes to get to college, you know, and, and that college is actually attainable for them. So the idea is to bring them to campus, get them exposed, um, you know, to the college environment, get them an opportunity to talk to our leadership, talk to our students, um, get some hands-on um, practicums, if you will, experiential learning, so that by the time that uh, uh, they're starting to think about it in, you know, the next grade and the next grade, they're looking ahead at, at really going to college instead of uh, not really thinking that it's an opportunity for them. Um, and from an academic side, we're working with um, campus academic units to have them showcase the, what I consider to be like one of the hot majors are five to 10 years, 20 years down the road so to give the, these youngsters an opportunity to really participate in things that they're going to be studying um, 
you know, when they get to college and, you know, what types of careers that they can have, um, you know, post-college. So I think it's a great opportunity um, to really expose youngsters and hopefully build a pipeline, not just to college, but also to the University of Missouri. Wow, sounds like uh, a lot of work, very fulfilling work. Um, Howard, turning our, this is Mitchell Forty, by the way, uh, turning our attention to the uh, to the football season. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, that Barry Odom in year three needs to take another step forward. But and we've kind of talked about what we you know view as the benchmarks for what would constitute a successful season. What what in your mind, you know, be it a win number, be it Something else needs to be achieved this season to to consider it, you know, a step in the right direction. Yeah, you know, it's, it's always difficult, and I really don't like to put uh, you know, make predictions on how many wins a team uh, will have. I mean, it's just hard to do. Mm-hmm. But from my perspective, I, I think the essential thing for this team is to avoid a, a monumental collapse like uh, last year's start. Obviously, they finished very strong, winning uh, their final six games in the regular season. And, of course, qualifying for uh, for a bowl game in the Texas Bowl, which they lost to the University of Texas. But starting fast in 2018, uh, getting some wins, obviously winning your first three games is, to me, crucial. Uh, because what it does is it gives those players the confidence going into what could be, you know, the first three weeks of the SEC season or probably going to determine, um, you know, who's going to be your division champ. Uh, as I see it. Uh, so for Missouri to play well, they've got to come out and play exceptionally well, I think, against uh, Tennessee Martin, against Wyoming, and Purdue. Um, hands down, they've, they've just got to come out and dominate in those games, I believe, uh, and play consistent football uh, and as error and mistake-free as possible. Um, and if they do that, I think now you will be able to see measured progress early in the season when it's very important. Um, and I think to me, to be successful in, in, in the Southeastern Conference, this is the way you have to play every year. It's hard to play from behind. Uh, although Missouri, again, last year was able to, to make some significant strides, you know, that's not the prescription for uh, success in this conference year in and year out. So I think starting fast, playing consistently, uh, consistently good football and as error and mistake free as possible. And, Howard, it's not just – I mean, yeah, the wins are a big part of it, but Mitchell and I were talking before you came on. Here's why that Purdue game, in my mind, is so big. Because, yeah, you beat Tennessee Martin, you beat Wyoming. That's all well and good. But this fan base for three years now has been saying, give me a reason to care. Give me a reason to come back. And if you go 2-0 and and then you go lose at Purdue and you've got South Carolina, Georgia, and, and Bama coming up, these guys are going to check out. And attendance is going to be down low 50s again. It, they need a reason to care, and three and zero winning at Purdue with those three games coming up would be a reason. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and, and not just winning at Purdue, but again, winning con, you know convincingly, uh, really total domination, uh, and and not to say that uh, Purdue doesn't have a quality team. I mean, Jeff Brom is the outstanding job with that offense at Purdue, but I, I think man for man. Um, in my opinion, uh, the Missouri football team, you know, should have, should not have lost to Purdue last year. Um, and not by they 32. Go, <laughs> not by 32. Yeah, and yeah, to clarify, not by 32. Um, but, you know, Brom, Brom coaches his football team very, very well. You know, he, he's got a great track record. 
Uh, and you know, Missouri has to aspire to again playing consistent football if they want to be taken seriously again in in this conference. You know what Missouri did in 2013 and 2014 surprised a lot of people. They were not expected to to be competitive in the SEC, but those two years they certainly were. Then there was a drop off, and now that same sort of talk um, is is pretty prevalent now. Um, because they haven't had, you know, outside of what they did last year, the previous two years, Missouri was not competitive at all. Uh, so we're back in the same situation as when Missouri joined the SEC. Mm-hmm. So to change that dynamic, uh, again, they've got to really come out and just play like gangbusters, you know, pardon the pun, but that's what they have to do. Um, I think the players are very cognizant uh, and of what they did last year in the start of the season. Um, the guys that I've talked to this year certainly are, are very aware that they do not want to start uh, 2018 the way they started 2017. Howard, I've been uh, you know kind of previewing uh, the the team position by position as we kind of run into camp, and, and one of the more interesting groups I've kind of looked at so far is, is the wide receivers. Um, you know, with with Jamon Moore being absent and kind of a not a whole lot of uh, depth there among returning players. They're going to have to play several uh, newcomers. Do you, uh, you know, kind of have a sense of uh, how many uh, newcomers we might see uh, see the field at, at wide receiver and who those two guys might be? I think the telltale sign that you will see is if your frontline guys, your starters, aren't playing well, mm-hmm. uh, be prepared to see the backups. You know, the one thing that Coach Odom was um, – not reluctant at all to do was to play younger players last year. Right. And those younger freshmen uh, really came in, I thought, and, and, and made a statement. And uh, it doesn't matter, you know, what year or what class you are. If you can play football, um, you're going to be on the field. And, and to me, that's the way it should be. You shouldn't play a guy or start a guy because, you know, he's been there four years. You need to play the best players. And regardless of what class they're in, um, it's about making a statement and making plays on the football field. So uh, to me, it, it sends a message. If you're a young guy and you want to play ball and you can make a statement, you're going to be on the field for the Missouri Tigers. Kind of related to that, Howard, as a guy who played college football, what do you think of this new rule that freshmen can play in up to four games and it doesn't burn a year of their eligibility? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and unfortunately, I have not done enough research to Find out what the you know the the, the the supporting reasons are behind that. Going down, Mike and I are going down to the to the SEC offices uh, mid-August uh, to sort of talk about a lot of the rule changes, so that we can both be more educated on those types of things. But uh, you know, in some regards, uh, if, if a guy gets hurt, you know that's that's a benefit. You know, you can only play if you play four games and you get hurt then you know, you have an opportunity to have four more years of eligibility. You know, I'm still just trying to wrap my arms around it and try to understand why it was instituted. But uh, I think everyone sort of benefits by it. You don't necessarily you know, lose a guy if he only plays four weeks and gets hurt. And so he's lost pretty much a whole year of eligibility. So if, if, if I'm interpreting the rule uh, properly. Yeah, it wouldn't be terrible if Demaria Crockett, say, was actually only a sophomore for Missouri this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, no doubt. Um, but you know, then that's that's the that's the benefit that you get when you get a guy that you feel is going to be a contributor to your team, and and he gets hurt, then you can count on him for that uh, that year that ultimately will be a wash if he gets hurt. 
you know, the fortunate thing is, you know, I guess you can only do that one time. <laughs> the clock doesn't right. start over mm-hmm. if it happens in, in the second year or third year. Mm-hmm. Howard, uh, you know, obviously Drew Locke is, is the face of this team. You know, they're, they're already kind of rolling out the, uh, the Heisman hype for him as you know, you, you kind of have to do if a, if a guy's ultimately going to win the Heisman, you got to kind of start that preseason, uh, you know, up to this point in his, his Missouri career, he's, you know, he's, progressed a lot and he's put up big numbers but he you know he hasn't necessarily had you know a huge signature win or you know a really you know, high win season do you think that you know that's something that that he has to to maybe do to uh kind of cement a legacy among you know maybe a, a top handful of, of Missouri quarterbacks or how do you think kind of uh you know he will be remembered as a Missouri Tiger well you know that whole thing about signature wins is it's if that's what a lot of the media write about it, then, you know, so be it. We really can't control that. But, you know, I, I think if indeed Block leads his team to, um, you know, a signature win over a team like, let's just put, you know, two of the top teams in, in the in the conference, you know, Georgia uh, and Alabama, you know, two teams that played in the national championship last year. If he were able to, to beat one of those teams, then I think, yes, you – uh, it helps certainly helps his Heisman hype if he's playing well, but to come out and play convincingly against one of those teams, and he's certainly going to get um, a lot of national attention uh, by the mere fact that he's, he's he's able to take down one of the giants in college football. Uh, that said, you know I think Drew will tell you it doesn't really matter who we're beating. Uh, it's just it's just a matter of, of winning, uh, and he, and I think he trade his statistics for for more wins and. Uh, and a division championship, and ultimately uh, um, a conference championship. You know, something Missouri hasn't done since the late 60s is actually won an outright conference championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's always the goal. I mean, you, you know, you want to make the postseason, but, um, you know, really the, the glory is, is winning a conference championship. And, um, you know, I think this team feels capable about doing that, especially with the, the offensive firepower that they have uh, coming back. And yeah, we know that the, the defense has got some um, uh, some holes, but I, I think that uh, they're going to be better this year, um, especially with with all the things that plagued them defensively last year. If those problems are corrected and corrected early, uh, I think the team is hungry enough, and I think they have enough ability to certainly come out and, and play more consistently on the defensive side of the football. Offensively, I think you're probably going to see more of a controlled tempo on offense. Uh, you know, those, those three quick downs and those uh, two minute or less possessions, I think are, are going to be gone by the wayside for the most part. At least I hope they are. Uh, this team now has the capability to churn, uh, you know, eat up clock and really control and hopefully keep the football away from its opponent when it needs to, especially if they get to lead. Just a few more minutes here with Howard Richards, who you will hear all season long with Mike Kelly and Chris Trevino on the Mizzou radio broadcast. And Howard, when you get old and jaded and have seen 15 seasons in a row like I have, the thing you most look forward to is new trips, new places. Um, Have you ever been to a game in Tuscaloosa, Alabama before? I have not. Uh, The closest I have been is uh, Birmingham. Uh, We played in the Hall of Fame Bowl in 79. I've heard Uh, lovely things about the stadium in Birmingham. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) I haven't seen it in uh, almost 40 years. I I think it's Uh, about the same. (laughs) 
Uh, same old story, different day. Um, yeah. But no, Tuscaloosa should be, uh, you know, much like Georgia, which I think is an outstanding environment to play football. Tennessee, when Tennessee was in its glory days, uh, a tremendous place to play football, too. I expect Alabama to be an electric atmosphere. So a lot of these guys on this team have played, of course, in those venues. Some of them, I don't know if any of these guys on the current team have played at Texas A&M, but um, man, I, I, I think, and I'm not trying to slight the Missouri fans, but if our fans knew what it was like to play uh, or if they could ever visit a place like Tuscaloosa or Athens, Georgia, or Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, yeah, they'd be amazed. If we could bring that type of home atmosphere you know, to Farrell Field, I think would be a tremendous advantage for our football team. And that's why I hope all fans ever, if they ever get the opportunity to travel, they should travel to those venues to see what it's really like um, to play on the road, you know, as a visiting team. Uh, tremendous atmosphere. Missouri has to be, you know, at its best if, if they have any chance at all of, of being competitive uh, and being capable and, and competitive in the fourth quarter in order to beat one of these these uh, college football giants. All right. Uh, one thing you touched on a second ago is you said you expected the Missouri defense to be better uh, last year than it was this year, especially at the at the start of last year. Um, you know, one of the storylines coming out of uh, SEC media days was Barry Odom said he's relinquishing the play calling duties to uh, Ryan Walters on that side of the ball. How how do you think that that could benefit the defense, and and what does that kind of allow uh, Barry Odom to to you know put more of his focus on? I think you've got. Um that transition, that consistency going into uh, this year that you had from last year. I believe Ryan Walters was pretty much running the defense uh, last year anyway. Um, and, and he's a young guy that a lot of people think very highly of in college football. Uh, earlier this year when I was inducted into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, I had a chance to talk to his former high school coach, Gary Barnett, You know who – uh, had some great years in Missouri. And his, Fun and, fact, and uh, my years. father in high school as well. But really? continue, oh, yes. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, Coach Barnett thinks very highly of Ryan, thinks he's extremely capable. He's a smart guy, very low-key, but, uh, you know, knows his X's and O's and is, is pretty well-respected. I, th- I think he's he relates well to his players. I think he's got a, a great temperament as a defensive coordinator. Um, so it's a matter of putting all the pieces. You know, the players have to develop trust in what the coaches are trying to, to teach them. You know, the, the, to me, there's a big difference between coaching and teaching. And to me, the most successful, quote-unquote, coaches are those that can teach uh, methods on the football field and from the classroom that their players can absorb and, and commit to memory so that they just go out on the football field and react and not have to think about what they're doing. I think Walters has that type of capability to be able to, to, to use his instruction to make his players understand it. And, uh, you know, I think they're, they're going to play hard for him this year. Uh, and I think that, that'll be the difference. You have that overlap, again, uh, coming from last year and into this year. They know who the coordinator is, is going to be. And uh, now, you know, they've had another year in that system under Oldham and Walters. Um, and I think that should make them that much more comfortable. I think they've tried to simplify things a lot more. Uh, you also have to uh, think about the you know, having the consistency with Rick Haley, who's done a tremendous job with his uh, defensive line, and also the addition of uh, Vernon Hargreaves, 
uh, as an inside linebackers coach. I think um, from a coaching standpoint, uh, this decent defensive unit is pretty solid. And uh, I think the players really like the coaching staff. Um, and again, that, that always helps, you know, because you, know, you take away all of those intangibles and you know, the personality conflicts. It's just about going out and playing football. And I think these, this unit coaches and players together, you know, have a pretty good chemistry. They'll just go out and play football uh, week in and week out with all, without all of the other controversies and distractions that have taken place the last few years. Last thing for you, Howard, and I promise that this question actually is going somewhere related to football. This is, I, I can't remember exactly, your third or fourth year uh, on the radio broadcast. Would you consider yourself a better broadcaster than you were in year one? Oh, no doubt. Um, and I think I've, I've learned, uh, you know, working alongside Mike Kelly, you know, the, the timing of it all, you know, how to you know, transfer a thought you know, from what I see and what's going on in my head and be able to, you know, explain it to the audience. You know, a lot of it is timing. And and it's just like being on the football field, you know, yeah. practice, 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 getting used to your teammates, the guys in the booth, and, and just knowing that arena. Um, so, yeah, I, I sort of look back as to when I started and kind of laugh, you know, and, and um, I, I do believe and I hope that uh, people that listen to our broadcast feel the same way. So here's where I'm going with that. This season, to me, comes down to one thing. Like, in talking to Barry Odom and watching him at SEC Media Days, this is his third year. Like, you can't really understand what it's like to be a head football coach until you're a head football coach. I, I think there are a lot of things he didn't know about this job that he knows now. Um, and so, as far as Missouri goes, this is the year you have to see that pay off. Like, this is the year you have to say, hey, the guy went through some on-the-job on training, some growing pains, but now here's where it got him, and, and this is the year Missouri fans need to see, okay, he gets it, he's going to be a good head coach. The first couple years were rough, but he's figured some things out. Uh, that's a great point to make, Gabe. And I think in the big picture, you look at the head coach as the overall manager of your football program. And the reason you hire – great assistant coaches is because of their abilities. You know, you, you have to delegate authority as a head coach. You're involved in so many different things, not just the X's and O's of football, but, you know, selling your program, you know, talking to your uh, alumni base, looking at prospective donors, you know, those are all a part of college football, you know, whether you like it or not. But when you sign up to be a head coach in college football, you know, those are parts of the job. And it's hard to do the external things along with doing the day-to-day -day activities as a, as a head coach. So there's nothing better than to hire an assistant coach, you know, a position coach, where you know that there's very little input that you have to do from a day-to-day from a -day coaching standpoint. You know your, your assistants have it all together. You know, that's the, your coordinators – are, are on point. They've, they've been able to bring all the groups together and understand the philosophies that they're trying to teach on the defensive and offensive side of the ball and in special teams. Um, and then as a head coach, you know, you're there to sort of tweak things um, and, and to oversee, again, what your staff is able to do. Uh, and I think those are the things that, um, you know, not, not to not criticizing Coach Odom at all, but those are the growing pains, the things that, that come with being a head coach. I always tell people that if you know, if, if wins and losses in your first few years are are always a, a signature of how successful you're going to be, 
you know, 10 years out or 20 years out, you know, Tom Landry would have never been a head coach very long. <laughs> I think it yeah. took him four or five years to have a winning season with the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, now, even though he's passed on, he's, he's looked at as one of the most successful uh, coaches ever to coach in the National Football League. They gave him time, they, but there was measured progress each year. And I think that's what uh, the expectation is for Coach Odom, is to see measured progress in year to year. So, I, you know, he's obviously, um, you know, improved upon his, his win total. You know, last year he made it to a bowl game in his third year. Now the expectations are going to be higher. No one wants to see a regression. They've got better players. They've got, a, again, a, I think a solid coaching staff. And it's just a matter of putting it all together uh, in 2018. So my expectation is that we will see measured progress. And, um, you know, even though Missouri's picked fourth uh, in the SEC East, uh, I believe they will uh, be much more competitive than a fourth-place finish. All right, well, Howard, uh, eight days away from the first practice, so I guess uh, now we get to see you regularly. So I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Always a pleasure, man. I, I enjoy, you know, certainly what you do, Gabe, and uh, you know, we, we we always share good ideas, and I learn a lot from from what you do, and uh, hopefully, you're learning a little bit more from me each year as I improve too. That that has just ensured it will not be a year before we have you back on the podcast, Howard. We like people who compliment us. No doubt, man. Well, what's well deserved. So, all right, man. Have a good one. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Howard. You too. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Howard Richards, the, I don't know, he gave his title, Assistant Athletic <laughs> Director for Outreach, I believe. Uh, also, the more well-known probably to people on here is the color commentator for the football team. And I don't know, man, Howard covered it. Yeah. I got none to add. Yeah, yeah, he really he touched on uh, a lot of it. So All right. he, uh, he's optimistic about the season. I suppose that means you're allowed to be too. That's it. <laughs> uh, next podcast is the day before fall camp starts. So we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening.